fired up the day after Christmas. Well, by God, I don't think anything will. Greasy Rope Break listeners, welcome. Merry belated Christmas. And welcome to episode 15 of Rope Break, a pro wrestling podcast. I am your host, the Greg Flynn. And I'm shaking off the cobwebs. I've been on vacation from the wrestling world. I haven't been, well, I, I think about wrestling every day, but I haven't been thinking about the wrestling content for a couple of days, and it's been a nice little reprieve from my brain, I won't lie. So now I gotta, now I gotta channel it, now I gotta get revved up, because as you guys know, this thing is a huge jet plane with a lot of moving parts, and when we take off, it makes a lot of noise, lots of rumbling, but then once we're in the air, we're coasting, and we're good, but it's just, it's just the nature of of just such a powerful jet plane that is the Rope Break Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, the video version on YouTube, and don't forget to subscribe on Twitch so you get notified every time I go live 20 minutes late on Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. See, I gave myself a little grace there. I'm normally like 30 minutes or an hour late, but I was like, no, you're only 20 minutes late. You're good at this. You're getting better. You're getting more punctual. You know, we got a new year coming up, some new resolutions. It's a new Greg. I'm going to I'm going to be punctual in 2024. I don't know. I don't know if I would. I do, don't 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 tattoo that anywhere or don't don't hold don't hold me to that. I can't guarantee anything. But hey, rope break listeners, I hope you guys had an awesome Christmas yesterday and I hope you're having an awesome holiday season wherever you are. I hope you got all of the uh, wrestling action figures and wrestling tickets uh, and just just all the good wrestling stuff that you could ever dream of for Christmas. I'm trying to remember what I got. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was two days ago for us. We we celebrated on Christmas Eve, basically. I, I got my standard fare, dad of the house, socks and flannel. And by God, it's cold where I live. So I was quite pleased with the haul. I won't lie. And then uh, I got a little date with the missus today that I would definitely consider part of the Christmas festivity. So, hey, take your special. So it's not all look, you can't just you can't spend your whole life watching old Ric Flair matches on YouTube. You can. But sometimes you got you got to you got to you got to de-louse the old meat suit. okay? and you got to get spiffied up and you got to take the missus out and you got to wine and diner. Okay, it's just the nature of the beast. You got to do it. You got to do it if you want to keep her coming to wrestling shows, okay, and keep letting you watch wrestling late into the night. So it's just the nature of the beast. Hey, we got a stacked show today. We got a lot to get to. We're going to be talking in segment one about AEW, specifically the Continental Classic. The group stage is over. So what did they do with it? How was it? It is time to dig in to what happened in the group stage. Look, it's only halftime of this tournament, and match-wise, it's way past halftime. So it's, it's, it's a good time to take a look. But, you know, in terms of the stories and how this is going to unfold and what's going to happen next and then where it goes after that, all of that's going to be determined tomorrow night and then Saturday at World's End, which means we're also going to do a little preview of the matches coming up this Saturday at World's End. I'm super stoked for that. See, that's the other thing. Tony Khan has taken another 50 bucks out of my pocket for another pay-per-view. And so you, I got to wine and dine the misses, you guys. Like, I'm going to be in big trouble if Tony keeps making me spend $50 a month on these things. I'm getting big trouble. So I got to take her out. You got to do it. You got to do it. If you go watch those Ric Flair. I hope Ric Flair's at the pay-per-view. But if you're going to do it, you got to do it. Okay. So the Continental Classic, we're going to break down the group stage. I thought they did great. I thought they did great. Spoiler alert. I thought they did great. We're going to preview World's End, and then we're going to take a break. And after the break, I saw, I don't know, is it the greatest wrestling movie ever made? I saw the Iron Claw. I took one of my kids and my wife, and we went and saw it. I saw the Iron Claw. I'm going to tell you what I thought of it. I'm going to grade it like it's a wrestling match. What's the good? What's the bad? What's the ugly? And should you take your loved ones? Should you take your non-wrestling fans to go see it? Because that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Like, 
can Hollywood films serve as a good gateway drug to non-wrestling fans? And can this specific one serve as a good gateway drug? But we're going to get there after the break. First things first, Continental Classic. Tony Khan comes out a few months ago and he says, you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling, I can make a historic tournament too. I can get some great wrestlers, throw them into a tournament, (laughs) throw them into matches and call it a tournament, I should say. And I can build a great tournament. So has he succeeded now that we are basically at halftime? I feel like that's generous to him. But has he succeeded at halftime? Um, Big picture. Big picture. Group stage? I think absolutely. For a first time doing this, and especially doing it like, I'm going to give a little grace here. Doing it in the landscape of how AEW works today. And doing it in the landscape of, of... of frankly a disjointed and chaotic at times wrestling promotion that struggles to um, have like strands of consistency that you can follow. I always say, where are you going to put your suspension of disbelief? Where do you suspend it? Behind what have you placed it, right? And AEW is so bad at that in my estimation. But has the Continental Classic moved the needle on that? Yes, a little bit. (laughs) We have inched ever so slightly in the right direction with the group stage of the Continental Classic. I noticed that last week on this show, they were even going so far as to rant, the announcers, to rant and rave about how amazing the referees have been uh, during this tournament because of the whole situation where referees mattered. And actually, you know, I didn't have this, this is just popping into my head right now, like, the whole thing with Andrade El Idolo and C.J. Perry, I unpacked that last week on the show, two weeks ago on the show. Go watch or listen to the old one if you want to hear my thoughts on C.J. Perry and Andrade. But I thought it was hilarious that she stopped coming out with him. Um, after She came out with him during one of the matches, and like I think it was Rick Knox officiating it, and he didn't seem maybe it wasn't him I don't remember but whoever it was didn't seem like oh okay we got to get rid of CJ Perry but CJ Perry wasn't leaving and it was like the camera didn't know whether to look at CJ Perry or not to look at she's so hot and flexible of course you want to look at her but I mean by god it's a continental classic group stage match you can't have managers and valets and, and seconds out there just watching the match and and soaking up all that <laughs> sweet attention that was meant for Andrade And so they got rid of her, and it was disjointed and weird at the time. Like, it was like, and then the announcers were like, what a great job uh, the official did in getting rid of C.J. Perry. As you know, there's no interference or outside managers during group stage matches of the Continental Classic, blah, blah, blah. And when you watched it, it was like, no, no, a great job wasn't done anywhere here. It was like she was lingering too long, and it needs to become a story, like, the story is now that C.J. Barry is lingering too long, and she doesn't seem to know that she's not allowed to be out here or not supposed to be in the fucking script, if you will. But the script is evolving live on TV on TNT or TBS right now. So, and, and that bothered me, obviously, because like, because I'm a sports guy, and so you gotta sell me on some of this being real right like or some somebody believing that it's real the performers performing as though it were real we can't just constantly treat them like they're little kids and be like oh ooh, boo boo ooh, boo boo they didn't know boo boo we'll just not notice that oh boo boo we didn't notice that that's the fucking AEW thing it's just like anytime something's disjointed and makes no fucking sense you're supposed to be like oh it's entertainment Okay, well, like, the bar for what entertains me is so insanely low that I guess I just shrug and be like, nothing matters, nothing. Okay, I'm getting too harsh, because <laughs> I really like the group stage, and I've, I've funneled into something too specific here. I really like the group stage, and what I've done here is I want to go through wrestler by wrestler real quickly and talk and give them each a grade. Like a like a school grade. We're at the semester break for school. If you're if you're a student, so let's talk about who was in the tournament and what I thought uh, of their group stage. The first one I have on my list is Mox, and this one's a wash. I didn't give him a grade because I fucking do not like John Moxley. I, I just don't like his matches. I don't like the blood. I've memed about it before. I've talked about him 
being goofy before. I've talked about the lack of believability. Um, I just don't like what he's doing out there. Like, it, it really, I don't get it. I don't get why the mocks chants break out. I mean, the the best I can figure is that people genuinely believe. Yeah, they're buying it. They're buying it. They're the marks. <laughs> I found them. I found the marks, you guys. They are anyone who chants for John Moxley, because I just don't. I just don't see it, and I don't get it with him. So I di- I gave him. He's an F. I gave John Moxley an F. Next, Swerve Strickland. A definitely an A for what Swerve got in this tournament. Uh, he he lost one match. It was to Mox. I was blanking for a minute. He lost one match to Mox. He got over on Jay White. We got this triple threat set up for the semifinal. And I think it's obvious that they are thinking, or at least thought, who knows if a decision's made or whatever, but this tournament feels like it could definitely be swerves for the taking. It has felt that way the whole time. And at the very least, it feels like there was thought put into how this tournament rolls into whatever is next for Swerve Strickland. There's going to be a solid next for Swerve. You get that feeling. So win, lose, draw, it doesn't matter at this point for Swerve, I would argue. There's a lot of different ways you could go win, lose, draw as far as the whole tournament. But for Swerve... I mean, is what's true. What what's next could be a Connell Classic win, but what's truly next could be an AEW World Championship. At this point, I think it's getting harder and harder to deny. And I think he's a little bit of an insider's guy. You got to be a diehard AEW fan, or just or just a, not diehard, maybe, but you got to be an AEW fan. You got to be a wrestling fan and know who Swerve is. MJF is chipping away at that wall where. People who aren't really into wrestling might have heard of MJF at this point. He's starting to expand, it feels like, um, some of that notoriety, some of that fame. And Swerve's probably not there yet, but there's nothing stopping Swerve Strickland from getting there. I just got a tingle going through my body thinking about it because I'm so happy for the fucking man uh, behind the mask. The man behind the grill, (laughs) as it were, was Swerve Strickland. Because I think he's super talented. I think he's fucking coming out with rap songs. He's making his own entrance entrance songs. He's he's believable. He seems mean and crazy when he wants to be. And he's got the cutest smile when he wants to fucking flash it. The guy has it all. And so I'm super fucking excited. It is Swerve's house. I give him an A. Uh, it's only halftime. That can go to an A plus. Uh, win, lose, or draw. Uh, just depending on what happens next. I feel like there's a million different ways they could go at this point. I have a guess. I'll give you my guess at the end of this. Okay, Roosh, I would give an A to. I like that he got a couple wins. I like that he got to look like a fucking bull at times. Um, he's not my favorite wrestler in the world. I won't lie, but I thought he was ended up becoming a interesting choice for this tournament. This is why I love... The concept of this tournament and this the, the concept of booking matches this way. Um, p- putting people into singles matches uh, with some regularity so we as an audience can kind of get a sense of the hierarchy. Who's where in this moment? So that when it changes, that can feel impactful. I got to know where Roosh is today so I can enjoy where he is tomorrow, right? That's why... I mean, even someone like Daniel Garcia, right, who's still developing, who's smaller, younger, whatever you want to say, and I'll get to his grade later. It's fantastic. I thought they told an amazing story with him in this tournament, uh, despite losing all of his matches, I believe. Okay, next one, Mark Briscoe. I give him an A for all the same reasons. We have this plucky baby face that people want to get behind, and he and this tournament teamed up to give us something to get behind. And he got a win over Jay Lethal in his last match, and it was meaningless, and yet it didn't feel meaningless because I've been watching Briscoe struggle. I've been watching Briscoe, Briscoe, excuse me, try to hit that Jay Driller, that 
hooked arm pile driver that he goes for in honor of his brother. Like, I, I've been watching that for a while now. So when it fucking finally came together for him in a tournament, no one thinks he's going anywhere in, but he gets the big win. He hits the big finisher. He gets over on Lethal, who he's been feuding with. Uh, it was fantastic. I just sold myself on A+. I mean, we now have a plucky baby face that can go lose to anyone at any time, and it will be super predictable, and yet it can still be good. Because we've given him a platform to get his personality and his wrestling over with. What a fucking novel concept. (laughs) Booking singles matches on your wrestling show with a little bit of intention. Okay, the next name is Jay Lethal. I actually gave Jay a C. And the reason why is not really because of anything Jay did, but... I've just been so bummed by how they've used Jay Lethal. I, I thought I thought there was a ton of potential there. I think that he's he's got the look, he's got the technical ability, he's funny. He's really fucking funny. Excuse me, I'm burping. Go watch him have that woo off against Ric Flair if you've never seen it from Impact Wrestling. <clears throat> there it is. There it is, greasy wrestling fans. But go back and watch that. Go back and watch some of his promos when he was younger and allowed to give promos. They were good. They were funny. He was interesting. He's a good-looking guy. I don't understand why he isn't in the position of being the prominent ground-and-pound heel that represents a little bit of a wall to get over. So when it's time, you know, send him out there to get wins, and then when it is time for Daniel Garcia or someone like that to get their first tide-turning win, they get it over someone like Jay Lethal, who seems phenomenal in the ring. He seems like a great worker. I totally, I get hooked into everything he's doing. Everything kind of has impact and and reason and a message behind it. And here he was just here to come and last, and somebody has to, and that's the nature of the beast, and he wrestled some good matches as he did. So I gave him a C. It was a passing grade in the end. But I've always wanted to see more from Jay Lethal, and that, that might just be a personal uh, journey that I have to go on with Mr. Lethal. Okay, and then the last one in in the first group was Jay White. I give Jay an A as well. Um, this has really been his first kind of run in AEW. Like you could argue that there's a run that for him that starts with the championship match against MJF, goes through this tournament. And then where does it go next, though? Here's the thing with Jay, because I don't see him winning that triple threat. I don't really see him winning the tournament. I'd love to be proven wrong. I I think he's pretty good. I haven't seen a ton of his work in New Japan or anything like that. Um, But what I have seen, I've enjoyed. I think he is, you know, he's got a good look. He's a little thin, but he's believable. He's jacked at the end of the day. He's handsome at the end of the day. He's really well-spoken at the end of the day. Some of the promos he and MJF were doing, now that I sit and think about it for a second, were really fucking engaging. And, I mean, he's a lyricist out there. Uh, He's a poet out there to a certain extent. He's a violent poet out there. Uh, And I've just sold myself on Jay White being the best wrestler in the world. I mean... He fucking he fucking killed it. He fucking killed it uh, in everything I feel like he was asked to do. But it's not sort of unlike Jay Lethal in that I just don't... I mean, you see what it looks like when AEW decides somebody ha- needs platforms. They get a million platforms. Look at Swerve Strickland. He is in a prominent spot in the Connell Classic. He has a prominent feud with Mira... Or no, I'm sorry, he's he's not feud, feuding with me. I'm thinking of Andrade El Idolo. But he has a prominent feud with MJF Brewing. He has a prominent feud with Hangman Page Brewing that is literally allowing one of the company's, quote, top baby faces to fucking hang on to relevancy. Hangman Page is out here just holding the bootlaces of Swerve Strickland saying, I'm on the show too! Like... That's how good Swerve is, and that's what it looks like when AEW gives one of these guys some, some meat to chew on. And then you look at Jay White, 
Well, he got the main event. He got the big pay-per-view. Sure, he got the MJF feud. He loses. He seems unconcerned with the loss. He's not getting promos to bitch about MJF. I can't recall any promos. And there you go. If they exist, they did not stick out in any impactful way. So, like, where's it going, man? We're like, Jay's new. Jay's new to North American audiences. Jay's new to AEW. Like, so, like, there, there needs to be some 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 meat on the bone I can't remember if it was on this show or something else I was doing when I described something as a standard meat tree but Jay White's tree needs more meat on it it's just that simple at the end of the day wrestling fans (laughs) okay shifting gears let's look at the other group stage uh and then I think I'm gonna call an audible I think after this uh it'll be a good time for a break and then we'll come back and we'll preview world's end So in the second group, you got Brian Danielson. He's advancing 10 points. I gave him an A. I think having him, you know, I I get into the weeds on like wins and losses and like what story are those telling? And he goes three, one, and one. He picks up a tie against Claudio, which I thought was cute. You could kind of see it coming a mile away. It didn't make it bad necessarily. Um, So it was good. And he's got the eye injury. He's getting older. The conversations about how this is his last year of wrestling full time. You start to wonder, is this his tournament for the taking? Or is this his tournament for pushing somebody else? Or Strickland, some prominent heel uh, up the ladder as he begins to fade away. Um, Because I I do think he's going to get over on Eddie Kingston uh, in the semifinal, I I can't imagine Eddie Kingston going to the championship round or winning this thing. <sighs> I gotta take a minute and imagine whether Tony Cod would do that to me. <laughs> I don't hate Eddie Kingston, but I I just don't think this is he got a good grade, but I don't think this is his spot. Brody King, I gave a B to. They gave him a big win early, and it seemed like. Is he going to be the dark horse? Is he going to be the underdog, the big, beefy Brody King? Is there something here that they believe in that is going to happen with him? And is this his push? And then immediately the answer was no. And so I I gave him a B because the matches were fun and interesting because of that first win. It was a good idea to keep him sort of interesting throughout, uh, despite the fact that this thing was clearly going nowhere at the end of the day with Brody. Which is a shame for him, but, you know, like I said with with Briscoe and Lethal, like, somebody's got to lose. So, this was an interesting way to make him lose. Okay, the next one I have on my list, these are in no order, if you can't tell. But Andrade El Idolo, who, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm a huge fan of Andrade El Idolo. And I just saw what I think was a social media exclusive, internet exclusive, this morning of him talking about the tournament. And it was somber and emotional and well thought out. And he congratulated Eddie Kingston. And he congratulated everyone in the tournament. And he talked about how much he had loved participating in it. And let me tell you something, you sexy motherfucker. We love watching you in it. We, the listeners of Rope Break, the greasiest wrestling fans in all the world, we loved watching you in this tournament, Andrade. I felt like a spot in the semifinal against Brian Danielson was obvious. I felt like it was obvious. We have Danielson winning a match against Andrade, then Andrade wins in the group stage against Danielson. We have a we have a trilogy. We have a feud to settle. We have something here. And anyone can win that match. Send Andrade to the final. He's an amazing wrestler, and I could believe him in sort of a babyface role against a Swerve Strickland, and I would love that match. I would believe them as in-ring uh, workhorses that have earned uh, and fought and, and grinded their way through a difficult tournament and proven that in the squared circle, they are two of the best, period. Drop the mic, done. Andrade and Swerve. And, and, and Andrade can go have a great match with Danielson in the semifinal and lose that. That's fine as well. Andrade was amazing. I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand why he's punching Sammy Guevara unless Sammy just needs it. I don't understand why he's not being used more prominently. Maybe he is now. Maybe CJ Perry, Miro. God, if Andrade, 
if all of this was to get Miro over on Andrade and then it, oh, that would just be the worst. And then give Miro some sort of push um, off of off of that trampoline, if you will. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I, I bombed. I give him an A. I almost give him an A plus because his matches and his story of being really good, but he, he's not Brian Danielson. Nobody thinks he's winning this group. Like, it was really interesting to watch him throughout this league, for lack of a better word. The group stage felt like a league at times to me. Yeah, I, I was bummed. So I, I'm hoping for fun, good things from Andrade. Maybe he fights Miro Saturday at World's End, and we get we get that payoff. We get that resolution. Next, Claudio Castagnoli. We're almost done. He got an A as well. Are you noticing a trend, greasy wrestling fans? Are you noticing a theme? I really like where we're at so far with the Continental Classic. Claudio Castagnoli got the opportunity to show off a ton of ability, a ton of versatility. I've talked about him on the show as well. I think he's fucking amazing, and I think that his faction and his character work is some of the worst that you will ever see in professional wrestling. Uh, Disjointed, visionless. Um, I think that it is easy to say that we are, to, to, to put some people together and have their identity be that they are the toughest SOBs in all of pro wrestling. And that they are the wrestlers' wrestlers. It just, it just felt simple and easy. And then it never went anywhere. And I think, to be totally honest with you about the Blackpool Combat Club, I think the real reason that never went anywhere and this is harsh, is because John Moxley isn't going anywhere. He has no vision. He has no direction. He wants to walk around the outside of a wrestling ring near the fans. He wants beer spilled on. He, he, he wants to be cut open, and then he wants beer spilled into those cuts. And that's where he is at in his life, his career, his work, his art. And that's fine, Mox. Like, that's fine. I'm scrolling past it though, homie. I'm not interested. And putting him as the leader, de facto leader of this faction has had a trickle down effect where now everyone sort of gets the mox rub. And the mox rub is not good. It's not story driven. It's not really personality driven. It's violence driven. And that is just a component of a story. Violence is a tool that you use in a story. Violence isn't necessarily the story, if that makes sense. People are the story. I want to care about people. I want to care about my favorite wrestler. I'm curious. Give me bits of your personality. I have a violent personality. Okay, then I I guess we're not going to really get along if that's the end of the conversation. So it goes, so it goes. And and that's been killing Claudio because god damn, he would be good as like the TNT champion in a Gunther type thing where it's like this guy can fucking wrestle. He's big as fuck, he's he's sexy as fuck, and he can fucking wrestle. He can work a grappling match with Brian Danielson and he can fucking beefcake it up. Like, he's good. He's good. And I think he could be okay on the mic. Like, the accent and everything, like, it could work in his favor. Look at the way fucking Gunther does it. Like, it can work in your favor. You don't need to say that much. You just need to say the right things that make sense. Oof. What a novel idea. Somebody Can somebody get Mox on the phone? Something tells me he wouldn't listen to a goddamn word. Okay, next, we got two left. Daniel Garcia, A, maybe A+. I could care less about Daddy Magic and Danny Garcia and the Jericho send-offs. And just, I, just, I just never cared. But when the House of Black was raining violence on who became, in Garcia, the plucky young underdog of the tournament. And when Daddy Magic runs out there to protect him, after Daddy Magic had been announcing his matches, rooting for him, functionally helping tell the story that 
This is the plucky young underdog, and we are looking to put it together for this tournament. And no, we didn't necessarily, but it's okay. We believe, like, there was a, there was a setup, and then there was a payoff when it all came crashing down on Danny Garcia. Not only is he losing all the time, but now he's being attacked by the House of Black, and Daddy Magic comes over, and now all of a sudden they have all these great babyface vibes. Because you're getting the sense that they care about each other perhaps as much as they care about the shitty New Jersey memes and all that. See, that now we get into the issues I have. But that's irrelevant. We're talking about Garcia. We're talking about the tournament. And so that was an A story. This, oh, my God. I mean, I've said it already. This is why these tournaments are so good. You have so many opportunities to kind of cement in the viewers' minds who these people even are. Like, where are they at in their uh, careers? Like, I, I know where Patrick Mahomes is at in his career. I know where LeBron James is at in his career. I know where Victor Wembenyana is at in his career. And I tune in so that I can see that and see the gradual change. So I can say I was there when he was less. He was less than he wasn't winning. He wasn't as big, whatever it was. And then I can go on that journey with him. And as a viewer, that's a fucking blast, right? Well, this was a great setup for Danny Garcia for exactly that sort of thing. Just quit hanging out with Danny Magic and doing the dance, though. We need, I need something else from, from that level of personality. The last one on the list, Eddie Kingston. That was fantastic. That was a comeback story. We needed somebody to get off to a shitty start and then put it all together and push through. And in the end, that was Eddie Kingston. He's a good candidate for that. He did great. It's a good story for him to tell. It's a good story for the tournament to have. Somebody making a comeback like that in the group stage. Uh, and so I love all that. I give him an A. And I think, frankly, that Eddie Kingston should be just uh, uh, so thankful that he got to be the guy to tell that story. Um, because I don't I don't love Eddie Kingston in the ring. Um, I, and I'm curious who agrees with me. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think. But sometimes it just feels like some of what Eddie Kingston does in the ring, not some, a lot of what he does in the ring is because of limited physical ability. And some of the slap fests that are proving how tough he is, I mean, if that's a product of the fact that he's not capable of doing other things for extended periods, then that's actually a huge problem. Like I, I, and, and every time I see it, I wonder that. Whereas if, you know, the WWE match between Sheamus and McIntyre as a triple threat and Walter Gunther uh, a few months ago where they had kind of a beef fest, smack fest, meat fest, uh, you, you don't get the sense that this is covering up anything. You get the sense that the story you're being told is of the strongest guys in the world beating the shit out of each other. Whereas with Eddie Kingston, I don't believe for a second I'm looking at one of the strongest men in the world. I don't. So why are his punches the strongest in the world? Why are his chops the strongest? Like, why is that enough for him to win matches? Why is that enough of a technique for him to put it all together? I feel like I just heard something. That was very strange. I'm going to make sure that I have my Discord. Actually, this will be, I'm done here. So this is a great spot for a break. I'm going to look into my technical difficulties and we'll be back after the break previewing World's End and summing up the group stage to the Continental Classic. Hey, thanks for going on the ride with me today, Greasy Wrestling fans. <laughs> break talking about the continental classic grading and breaking down the group stage i'm just i'm just sitting here fiddling with my mustache no no the, the mustache is complicated you gotta check out if you listen to the show check out the live show check out the youtube video version of the show uh so i've been rocking this incredible mustache for I, i've never really talked about i've never really had the opportunity to break this down but <laughs> I've been I've been rocking this incredible mustache for a few months now. And it's really it's really a game changer. You're constantly getting shit stuck in it. You know, it's winter, it's cold, you know, you get you get allergies, you get viruses and blowing my nose and there's always shit in it. 
you know, like snot and toilet paper from blowing my nose. I run to the bathroom right away. And then shit gets out. It's just, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. Uh, so, you know, the mustache is, it's just, I guess what it boils down to is, um, with great power comes great responsibility at the end of the day. And that's really what I think I am, uh, identifying in this moment is that with the power to grow an amazing mustache comes an incredible responsibility to maintain and, uh, 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 love that mustache at the end of the day. Okay. We are previewing. AEW Worlds, and we just broke down the group stage for the Continental Classic. I think overall, I give that uh, group stage like an A. I, I don't, you know, it could be an A plus. Uh, if this was year three of it, maybe I only give it a B or whatever. But I think for a first time doing this, given the current way AEW operates and looks, this was a fantastic outing to begin moving the needle on changing the way uh, we perceive AEW as a show, as a promotion, the way we perceive these individual wrestlers, the way we perceive the referees, for crying out loud, the way we perceive the announcers, the whole thing. It was a ton of opportunity. And I think in really all those areas, they did a really solid job kind of moving the needle, 15 20% even, uh, in getting this thing to feel a little tighter, a little more competitive, a little more impactful, and a little less like the kids are happy to have a paycheck and really excited to be on the TV. You know what I mean? Like a little less hype about that. A little bit more of what you see from Swerve Strickland where this is about winning. This is about the AEW World Championship. That's why I showed up to the building to win, right? Like that type of energy is what makes stupid fucking moves, stupid fucking entrances, stupid fucking managers, just the insanity that is pro wrestling in 2024. It makes it believable at the end of the day simply to have the guy or two guys at the center of it clear with their motivations on winning. Because now I can do silly things in that context, at least. And the Connell Classic has been great at providing that. World's End. Uh, I'll start at the bottom of my list. The top is the good stuff. I don't know why I do everything backwards in life. I don't know. Maybe that's a sign. Uh, I, they announced the FTW Championship is on the line between Hook and Wheeler Yuta. Uh, I like the way Hook's being packaged. He's young. He's interesting. Um, he, he, they, they, what he'd say, he's from New York City. It felt in his last promo, it felt, it had the New York City vibes. It had the young vibes. Um, and, you know, I think that we're kind of waiting to see, in a sense, who Hook is. And I think it's because Hook is young. <laughs> it's hard to know who you are when you are Hook's age, right? Like, like so part of that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But that's what's making Hook fun and Hook interesting is that as a young man, he does seem to have some answers as to who he is. He may not have every answer. He is still young. But he, he comes across as though he does have some of those answers and that he's sleeping okay at night with what those answers are. He seemed, he comes off as confident as though he knows himself, self-assured, way more so than somebody who's 24 years old, however old Hook is, should be 22. He's a young guy to be coming off that way. Um, and he's killing it. He's absolutely killing it. I, I'd be surprised to see Wheeler Yuta win this match. It really doesn't matter. Uh, it's the FTW championship, which is just, you know, my dad gave me a championship. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. It doesn't matter. That's okay. That'll be a good match. The next one, Julia Hart and Abaddon. I mean, holy cow. What do you even say? Like, you got to imagine this match is going to be terrible. I, I hope that's not mean. I hope it's just honest. I mean, it is mean. But it, it, Julia Hart has shown me nothing. Like, I haven't seen anything from Julia Hart that would make me think. Like, she's so small. She's so frail. And she's playing this role with the House of Black that I'm beginning to wonder, candidly, fit her aesthetically 
far more than it actually fit her on a deeper level with personality and presentation. When we got to get into the weeds of making this thing in any way impactful or meaningful, now that we have a little title on her and all that, like now it feels like it's falling apart the hardest. Like when the cute blonde girl was with all the violent, tough uh, guys dressed in black, covered in tattoos, and they're doing, uh, uh, I don't know. I was going to say sacrificial rituals. I don't know. My my brain is foggy this morning. I'm not thinking clearly. But whatever whatever emo goth shit the boys in the House of Black are doing on the weekends, <laughs> Julia Hart seemed like she fit in visually. The hair, the hat, it was cute. It was hot. It was great. And then when we had to escalate that, it just felt like it immediately fell off the rails and exposed why she was in that role to begin with. Um, and I don't know why she's a TBS champion. I, I think Abaddon is just as qualified. I think Abaddon is far more interesting to look at, far more interesting to walk down the aisle, uh, to watch. Did I say to walk down there? To watch walk down the aisle? Um just just far better in these senses. And I haven't seen a ton of Abaddon matches, and maybe they'll come off a little janky too. Uh, but I'm Team Abaddon for this match. I think, like, if, if at the end of the day, all we're offering at this level of women's wrestling in AEW is a look, give it to the interesting look. Give it to Abaddon. Give it to and, – and then – and now you have a kind of a, a violent deathmatcher energy or whatever. Now you have one of those people with a belt in your promotion. Uh, so you kind of legitim- uh, legitify. I'm making up words this morning on episode 15 of Rope Break. Um, but you, 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 you make it legitimate. You make it solid. You make it feel like that type of thing is – a little bit more real. It's got a championship belt around. I don't know. I'm just trying to come up with reasons why anybody but Julia Hart should be doing this thing. Next match, the TNT Championship. Between everyone's favorite daddy, Christian Cage, the reigning champion, and the rated PG stepdad, Adam Copeland. And uh, I don't know. Like, So I, I love Christian Cage. I haven't loved Adam Copeland every step of the AEW way, and I didn't love Edge every step of the WWE way. Like, he's just never been my guy. Um, And I didn't notice Christian, to be totally honest, when I was younger, when they were doing bigger things. Edge had the hair. Edge had the look. So for a 12-year-old greasy wrestling fan, um, when I was younger and they were doing their tag shit and really at their biggest, Edge was the guy I noticed, and I think Edge was the guy everyone noticed back then. But I've been, I go back and I watch old WrestleManias and stuff. And it, it just, it was Christian who was funny as fuck. Christian having a romance with Trish Stratus was interesting and funny as fuck. Uh, Christian learning to be happy with DDP, like an aging DDP at WrestleMania versus Christian Cage. Christian's carrying the whole joke of the, and premise of the match. His character is what's driving the whole thing. His attempt to be happy, like DDP in a way, like... He's hilarious. This is one of the funniest fucking people just on the planet, I think, let alone in pro wrestling. And he's proving it with the patriarchy. How fucking funny is this shit? Like, yeah, I stole this 18-year-old boy and then I banged his mom and now my family is complete. This shit's fucking hilarious. And it hurts, man. I'm in a blended family. Something like 60% of America is in a blended family. Like, it's, 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 like, it's so good. He's driving needles in such amazing spots. Like, with comedy, with comedy as a douchebag. So now I want to see him and I want to boo him. He's fucking phenomenal. I've called him the best heel in wrestling before. At that time, I think he was. I think that, you know, maybe Swerve is giving him a run for his money here on December 26th, right? I like to play fast and loose for with the moment. It's just right here, right now. Uh, who is What have you done for me lately, right? Christian Cage is still bringing it. Uh, Nick Wayne and his mom, I don't know, man. I'm curious what you guys think. They seem like they're a little bit along for the ride. Um, like, like, like Christian is fucking amazing. And we've got this young guy that we think could be amazing one day. So come along with Christian. 
And oh, his mom's kind of funny and kind of good on the like she's interesting. She's got some acting chops or whatever. Uh, and she's his mom, so she makes sense too. And he's a patriarch, and so now we've put our little bow on it, right? And now Christians, and again, and again, and again, you see what I'm saying? It, at the end of the rope is just Christian Cage making this whole thing work. He's the one who makes the fact that Mama Wayne is even involved make sense. Because he's trying to bang her. Like, it's just that simple. And he he's the one who makes Nick Wayne make sense. Because he's the patriarch. And, like, he's making this whole thing tie together. He's the believable one in this whole landscape. Um, which is why, against Adam Copeland, I think that he should lose. And then he'd make a great heel for MJF for a main event, I think. Um that, that would be a phenomenal build. I, I would love to see Christian Cage, MJF, headlining an upcoming pay-per-view, full gear. I don't know if... I mean, fuck, we got this masked man! Oh my gosh, is anyone talking about Christian Cage as the masked man? This is just hitting me live on Rope Break, episode 15 here on December 26th. Christian Cage as the masked man would be really good. It would be really good. He... you. you it's Luchasaurus. It's it's Nick Wayne. It's Mama Wayne fighting for the Ring of Honor Tag Champions. She's one of the goons. I think it could be really good. That's a meme. I think it could be really good. Christian Cage under the mask. I'm sold. That's who I want to see. If not Britt Baker, of course. I talked about that a few weeks ago. And then if you give Copeland the belt, he can uh, feud with a lot of the roster, basically, while he holds that belt. And we can see Copeland work and do things with a variety of people and go from there. I think putting a TNT belt on Copeland kind of makes sense. Get to have a big baby face win at World's End. It could be really interesting. Uh, and find a way to kind of protect Cage through that. And, man, he's on to bigger, better things quick, in my opinion. Uh, okay, next one is the Tag Championship. We got the Golden Jets with Kenny Omega out, which means Chris Jericho is going to pick a partner. That is always fun, in my opinion. I do like it uh, when we get to go into these situations not knowing. Because whoever it is, well, now we can do anything from there, right? Jericho and this person can feud against each other. They can be allies together, whatever it is. Uh, so there's a ton of opportunity. It could be somebody from Jericho's past. It could be somebody totally uninvolved with Jericho. So I, I, I do enjoy that. And on the other side of that, Ricky Starks and Big Bill were cute as fuck in their last promo, making fun of Kenny Omega. I thought that was genuinely funny at times. And they seem to be kind of hitting their stride together. Like, you know, I, I won't lie, Big Bill at times, I feel like, I, I almost feel like he's too vulnerable on the mic. Like, he, he when he says things like, they said I couldn't make it to the top, but standing here holding this belt with this guy, I think I'm back on top. That's really sweet. <laughs> that's really sweet, uh, William. <laughs> Large William. That's really sweet. And, and I don't know if that's exactly what the boys in creative were packaging with you and Ricky. That level of sweetness. I think what they were packaging was that level of coolness, that level and that look, that the young, uh, not young, but smaller, younger, Ricky Starks, good-looking guy, and Big Bill's, I think, reasonably young too, and he's the big beefcake of the group, and then they are supposed to have a vibe, a cocky vibe, where they don't need to be friends, quote-unquote. They don't need to fucking have great teamwork like FTR or be brothers like the Young Bucks or whatever else. They're just good at what they do. This is simple. Fuck you. Like, that's funny, and if you can get it over in the ring a little bit, okay, I'm sold. I'm in. Like, it's good shit. And they feel like they're hitting their stride a little bit. So I got to believe they're going to win this match, carry those belts for a while. It seems like they're heading to a rematch with FTR, but who knows? Who knows in AEW? But I, I don't know what else FTR is going to do. Uh, in fact, I'm really excited to see what else FTR is going to do. It's not anywhere on the internet, but I got to think they're going to fight House of Black in a tag match at World's End. Uh, but who knows? Who knows when and where or if that's even true. But yeah, FTR is a tough one because like, what do you do without the belts and tag wrestling? Well, now we got to tell stories and I just a little tough. I think it's going to be a little tougher for them in that environment 
that environment being AEW, to tell interesting stories that push tag wrestlers who don't have the championship belts. Uh, maybe two years ago, that would have been different in AEW. Back when we had all these amazing tag teams that we were so like behind. When we're talking about Omega and Paige together, the Young Bucks, FTR, um, the, the best friends. I mean, they're, they're, where did the best friends go? As a t- I thought they were great. I thought they were hilarious, cute, funny, interesting, great baby faces. And all of a sudden, it was like, we're done with them. We don't need them in the tag division anymore. We don't need the Young Bucks in the tag division anymore. And we're just going to use it to uh, push prominent singles wrestlers who need to be a champion. Here you go, Ricky. Here's your belt. And like, when you do that, sure, Ricky gets your push, but have you neutered the whole tag division in doing so? Have you made it feel like uh, that this is a division defined now by mediocrity? Because at one time, this was a division that was carrying your promotion, and you were proud of that fact. And then you immediately got to work chopping the whole fucking tag division down. Uh, The Bucks go uh, trios. We don't have the FTR Bucks match that we everybody wanted to see when they wanted to see it. Um, and I've talked about that ad nauseum. But, I mean, man, they just destroyed that tag division. And it is a shell of its former self. And they thought they could just package House of Black together and, and package Starks and Bill together and just, just recreate a new tag division. Man, we, we as AEW fans a few years ago, we were sold on that tag division. I mean, we, we were we were we were marked out, hook, line, and sinker. We were in. We were in, and hopefully we can get back to that place. Because I mean, I won't lie, it was that, not really the main event scene that for me coming into AEW really did it for me. So. Man, I want that back. Give it back to me. Okay, moving on. We got a couple more to go here. The women's championship. The champion, timeless Tony Storm coming in against the plucky babyface Riho. Tony Storm obviously going to stomp her in what has potential to be a great match. Tony Storm is funny and interesting. She has been cheating in funny ways where she, the last one that comes to mind for me is she put that metal pan into her, into her, uh, uh, into her butt. <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, into into her uh, uh, outside of her butt, into her. I can't, I always call them wrestling man panties, and she's not a man. Thus, her wrestling women panties, um, and then plows into her opponent with that uh, butt first, and that was hilarious and kind of unique to her in a certain way. And I feel like she's been pushing the character forward, not knowing who Mariah May is is hilarious. Um, and, you know, she's just pushing everything forward at a really good pace. She's She'd been saying, and this is a kind of a weird example, but I think it does make the point. Her whole thing about tits out, chin up, tits out, and mind the shoe, right? That's her whole gimmick. It, it's a mouthful, and it's hard to remember. But then last time on the show, she evolved it. She just looks at you and looks at the camera, and she goes, tits, shoe, or wait, no, wait, chin, tits, shoe. And, like, you're in. You know what she's talking about. We've evolved it. We pushed it forward. We made it easier to say and weirdly almost made it funnier in doing so. She's in this character. This is real to her. Like, she's really telling a hilarious story about an attention-seeking Hollywood vixen. Is that the right word? Uh, who is doing this in this wrestling promotion. And I'm fucking loving watching it. I'm... For the first time in a while, excited for a women's wrestling match in all elite wrestling. I mean, it's been a while since you could say that. I kind of perk up when I see Hikaru Shida back because she's interesting and good in the ring. Um, and she's sort of like the OG women's champion, even though I know that's Riho. Like, Shida kind of carried that torch in a certain way during the pandemic and stuff. And it feels like they just give her the belt anytime they need someone to carry the torch for a little while. She's like almost a transitional champ before Tony Storm. And because of all that reasons, I have a ton of respect for Sheeta. So I, I perk up whenever I see her involved, but not to this level. Tony Storm is killing it. This match, super excited for, more exciting than I've been for a women's AEW match in quite a while. Okay, two matches left. The Continental Classic finale... 
And then, of course, the main event is going to be the World Championship, MJF and Samoa Joe. I don't think there's a lot to say there. Samoa Joe's not winning the championship. These two have the potential to put on a good match. We've got a lot of FaceTime with them together. We've been here before. So where are we going to go on part two? Uh, yeah, I'm interested. I'm, I'm excited that the championship is being defended on a pay-per-view. We've been doing pay-per-views without the world championship even being defended, um, which yeah, sucks in its own way. But I will say that it makes this moment, uh, this Saturday, more interesting and more impactful. So we at least get the match, and I'm excited for that. But let's come full circle, shall we? Let's come full circle and talk about the Continental Classic final match. Who's it going to be? Uh, I'm going to give a couple brief predictions and why. If Swerve wins, I think he obviously beats Brian Danielson. Um, and, and that's probably what I think is going to happen, is Swerve Strickland versus Brian Danielson, which has a potential to be just such an awesome match. Uh, and I would love to see those two feud Oh my gosh, have Swerve get over on Danielson. Let Swerve be Danielson's final great, you know, push, if you will. We transfer that equity, as I like to call it, from Danielson into Swerve as Danielson winds down his full-time career. And keep in mind, he keeps saying full-time. Like, I don't know what would stop him from being a part-time AEW world champion in 12 months. Like, that that seems fine to me. I, I, I don't know. Um, but... If Swerve gets over on him here, now Brian Danielson can circle back for the world title if Swerve were to win that, and we can do it again, Swerve versus Danielson for the world championship, and maybe have Danielson get over. But I don't see any point in Danielson, if he is going to win this, getting over on Swerve. I feel like that just costs Swerve. So here's another idea, and consider this more of a pitch than a prediction. John Moxley versus Brian Danielson in the championship of the Continental Classic. We just kind of hold on Swerve Strickland and we move him into the main event uh, when appropriate here in the coming months. And maybe he's the masked man or whatever. But if you do Danielson versus Mox, you have an opportunity to do something that your show has needed for a long fucking time which is break up the Blackpool Combat Club. You get to have your baby face, Brian Danielson, get over, get his last great sort of uh, climb to the top of the mountain. He gets to plant his flag in as the first ever Continental Classic winner, as an amazing in-ring performer. Obviously, somebody like that would win the Continental Classic and makes a lot of sense on paper. And then in the match itself at World's End at a pay-per-view, you can tell an amazing story that pushes Mox maybe fully heel and Danielson more fully face and split up the Blackpool Combat Club and let Claudio Castagnoli be free, be free to apply the giant swing in matches that I can actually care about with people that I'm actually interested in far, far, far away from John Moxley. Hey, I don't want to do another break before I break down uh, uh, the Iron Claw. But I do have to transition into that. I know it's abrupt, but I want to keep this train moving, or excuse me, this jet plane moving through the air and eventually landing. You may recall at the beginning of this airplane ride, I mentioned that I got a hot wife to take on a hot date so I can keep watching hot Ric Flair matches on YouTube late into the night and I can keep buying pay-per-views. So let's briefly transition here, briefly and abruptly, into the Iron Claw. If you're not familiar with the Iron Claw, it is the movie, the big Hollywood Zac Efron movie coming out or has come out now uh, about the Von Erich family. Fritz Von Erich, who owned the uh, territory promotion in the 70s and 80s based out of Dallas, Texas. And then his uh, it was a five sons in total, three were more prominent. His sons that he used ooh, to push the promotion and, and be successful ultimately. And, uh, and, and, well, ultimately, <laughs> you gotta see the movie or, you know, at least uh, look up on Wikipedia, the Von Erics, or maybe you were there. I don't know. Um, but this is what I'll say about the movie. I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it and I'm going to, I'm going to rate it out of 10 as though it were a wrestling match with my extra harsh rating scale. 
But here's the thing about the movie. I thought it, it did a phenomenal job of showing the good and the bad of everything that it showed. Does that make sense? So when we're talking about individual characters, and the one that comes to mind is the dad, Fritz von Erich, they did an amazing job getting over his good and virtuous motivations. They did an amazing job getting across his love for his sons and his love for pro wrestling. They also did an amazing job getting over how... Mm, emotionally neglectful he was, how emotionally unavailable he was for his family and his sons, uh, to the point of easily being called abusive, emotionally abusive with his sons, and that he did kind of use them, uh, to reuse that word. Um, He did kind of use them to get where he wanted to go in life, to get his promotion where he wanted to go in life. And then the same thing now applies to the sons. You saw the good. They were fired up about being used in this way. They got to be famous. They got to be in pro wrestling. They got to win championships. They got to win the NWA World Championship. They got to win the WWE Intercontinental Championship. The trios run that they had. Like They got to do amazing things. And you got to see how much fun they had doing it. And then you got to see the cost of all that, the personal cost, where you go back home to your family. There's an amazing scene uh, the night that uh, Kerry Von Erich defeats Ric Flair for the NWA World Championship. And Kerry can't come down from the win. That's the line in the movie. I'm having a hard time coming down. And all of these boys, these actors, did an amazing job getting across the vibes and the feelings that they were having. None of these boys were particularly well-spoken. The Von Erichs were never great on the mic. Nobody ever accused them of that. And so, you know, they have a dad who is as big of a personality and as dominating as their dad was. It sort of makes sense that they might not be great at finding their own voice. And Zac Efron in particular, through breath, through glances of his eyes. What is this character looking at? What is he breathing through and processing in this moment? You got to go on the ride with David Von Erich, Kevin Von Erich, Carrie Von Erich, without them having a ton of like emotional dialogue. It was an emotional journey nonetheless. So you got to see the fame. You got to see the bright lights. You got to see the championships, the color, the women, everything that you could ever dream of. And then you got to see the other side of it, wherein if this isn't aligned and balanced in love and presence in the moment, if you're not filling in the gaps, because, you know, life has peaks, but it's truly the gaps in the valleys that last for hours and months, or excuse me, hours and days and weeks and months and sometimes years, the grind of life that makes those mountain climbs, those high spots truly special. They couldn't manage those low parts at the end of the day. The highs were too high and the lows were too low. Fuck this. I want to be high again. Boy, I could go for a joint. I've been on a bit of a tolerance break. My final rating for this movie is 7.9. It is just shy of an 8. If you are familiar with my match rating scale, basically anything above a 6, I really like. So this is a phenomenal rating. Uh, there, It's missing maybe a few things, and maybe the Von Erich story itself just isn't meant to be a 10 out of 10 Hollywood film. It might be uh, one of, if not the best, movie about pro wrestling I've ever seen. There aren't a ton of them, obviously, um, but the one that's coming to mind as a competitor for that title is The Wrestler, if you're familiar, and that's a fucking phenomenal movie. Um But this was an amazing movie. Uh, I was excited to take my family to it. And you should take your non-wrestling girlfriend or boyfriend or family or whoever it is, your parents, whoever it is that you know that doesn't really know a lot about wrestling. This is an amazing movie uh, to show them 
what it is that draws us to professional wrestling, what it is we like about it, whether it's the in-ring work and the in-ring storytelling, whether it's the out-of-the-ring fame, the lights, the colors, the women, as I was saying, whatever it is, and then the other side of living a life with that high of highs, can these people balance it? And uh, if you know the story of the Von Erics, you know the answer. And if you don't know the story of the Von Erics, well, go see a fantastic movie. Hey, this has been Rope Break episode 15. Thanks for hanging out this morning with me, guys. Merry Christmas. Uh, I hope you're having a great holiday season. The holidays can bring out the best and the worst in all of us. It can bring out incredible joy and it can bring out incredible depression. And so wherever you're at in your journey, wherever you're at in your life, I hope you are well this holiday season. Hey, stay warm out there. Stay greasy out there, wrestling fans. And I'll see you in seven days. Episode 16 of Rope Break. That's my lucky number where it's going to have to make it special. All right, have a great day wherever you are. Bye, everybody. Uh-oh.